HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, and uh, today's show is brought to us by Cabot Cheese. Cabot Cheese of Vermont, dairy farm family owned since 1919 and proud to be voted your four time champion cheddar. Look for the great taste of Cabot Cheddar in our favorite grocer's dairy case and on the web at CabotCheese.com. So, oddly enough, our sponsor is directly related to our subjects. Uh, today we have. From Brooklyn Slate, Sean Tice and Christy Hadeka, and from Brooklyn Built, Andy Rang. Did I get everybody's names right? It's it's actually Hadeka. Hadeka. I knew that was the one I was worried about. <laughs> Tice Rang. Those are too easy. <laughs> well, this show is kind of about the craftspeople, so not necessarily the food brought to the table, but the vehicles for that food brought to the table. Brooklyn Slate. Uh, is a company that started in the spring of 2009 when Sean and Chrissy visited Chrissy's family slate quarry in upstate New York. Um, and how long has that been in your family, that quarry? Um, three to four generations. I think the quarry that we're pulling our slate from has been in the family for three generations. I think my grandfather bought it in 1946. 1940. And so onto your father, onto you and... Well, actually, it's uh, my father and my uncle run them now, and then uh, my older brother works there as well, and he'll probably take them over. Excellent. And with that slate that you quarry, you make? Slate cheese boards. Ta-da. <laughs> Andy Ring is a woodworker. Um, the majority of your work is bookcases, furniture, housewares, exactly. that kind of stuff. But I was in Brooklyn Larder one day, and Sergio, uh, one of the owners, pointed out a cutting cheese charcuterie board to me that was very distinct, had hardwood accents handle, but this kind of black top, which initially I thought was slate. Um, but when you get closer, it's actually a substance called richolite. Richolite, that's it. 
Uh, it's made out of uh, recycled paper and uh, that's fused together with uh, dye under high pressure. And yeah. it's a countertop material, really. Cool. And uh, I noticed that you said it was FSC certified. Yeah, just that's a, re- a recycled green certification. Excellent. And it's coated with resin. It's durable. It's Yeah, it's totally... Um, <clears throat> it's... It's very similar to wood, except that it, it's not porous in any way. They, um, I was at a demonstration where a guy had put a piece of rich light in a bucket of water for like a month, and he pulled it out and dried it off and weighed it, and it weighed exactly the same as yeah. before it had been in the water. So it's a pretty amazing material. Yeah. And it was funny, when I was emailing with you too, you mentioned that it also develops a patina that's, patina that's similar to that of slate. Yeah. Um, which I thought was a great roundabout cyclical way to bring both Brooklyn built and let let me uh, clarify too it's Brooklyn B I L T dot com yes and Brooklyn Slate is well spell it out <laughs> dot com um, to bring Brooklyn Slate back into the conversation the quarry itself uh, the, the rocks use a whole bunch of machinery to actually take in this material can you talk through the process because quarries are a foreign idea to me. Um, yeah, it, uh, the rock is blasted. Um, my father has a blasting license and so they, can you just say that again? Yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's an excellent pickup line. Um, <laughs> Maybe <so> not. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, they blow up the stone and it falls and then they pick it up. Um, he has humongous machines. They look like moon mobiles or these humongous dump trucks and backhoes and bucket loaders and, um, they get these big boulders and they bring them up from the pit into the yard and then they use a, a pavement cleaver um, and they break them down into smaller parts and then they actually drill the smaller rocks with a jackhammer um, and they insert, it's a looks like a humongous nail, and they tap it back and forth um, for it, just like small taps and then the slate will actually crack along the grain because slate is um, like metamorphized shell, so it forms in sheets. So if you flip it on its side, it'll split evenly. And so then they take those smaller blocks and they uh, bring it in and they cut it with these saws. Um, they're sort of like water saws that are the water pours over the saw to keep the dust down, and they get extremely hot. And it they cut them into smaller blocks, and then they actually again use a like a cleaving device and they hit it with a hammer and it breaks again into more sheets and then they trim it and we have a trimming machine as well that we trim the slate with so we actually don't have boulders in our, our yeah studio. i was about to say <laughs> that seems like a lot of specialized machinery yeah, to no. have in a south brooklyn <laughs> studio no um and then it's transported down already in slate form or um, in the finished Brooklyn slate form. No, it's not in the finished form. We actually have a studio upstate at the quarry as well now, just because um, we outgrew our studio here very quickly and don't have the capital to buy our own huge warehouse. But um, so we do part of the manufacturing upstate, and then part of it is done in Brooklyn. Um, Most of the packaging is all done in Brooklyn. And like I said, we have a trimming machine, so we can cut custom pieces in Brooklyn as well. Um, so we just split our time, actually, between Excellent. the two spaces. And aside from the product itself, um, what I find fascinating, too, is the thought that went behind the packaging. That uh, I think Sean had emailed me that every piece of packaging can be repurposed. Uh, it's a, what, a burlap sack? and Yeah, what? there's a burlap sack that uh, 
you can use to either store the slate or just use as a placemat um, or for other purposes. Too. Yeah. Uh, and then there's, you know, we package an envelope which can be reused with twine and that also can be reused. As a cat toy. I've been using my <laughs> cat toy. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. And what was interesting to find out too, uh, Christy and Sean are kind of hydra heading this you know, project and I was talking about how nice it is to see design uh, be so methodical versus some kind of artisan products that sometimes are whimsical and temporal. And Sean said, well, I'm the methodical one, Chris. He's the one that usually uh, <laughs> not flies off the handle, but they hone each other in in that sense. Uh, how did the idea actually come about? You know, I mean, you've had this quarry in your family for generations upon generations. Why now? Um, I think it was sort of situational. Like Sean had just was working for CBS as a graphic designer and did some web work for them. And he had been laid off and I was just starting school at Parsons to do a graduate program. And we were both sort of looking for something, um, something to give us a little bit more direction, like a project. And we had, we were taking the train to Vermont and we went through Murray's in Grand Central and I saw some and I'd always known that they existed. And so we, I showed Sean, I was like, you know, we can do this. And we went to the quarry when we got um, up to Vermont and my father showed us some pieces and he was like, you know, you can take these and do what you want. And he showed us how to seal it. And then we just started, I don't know, I guess we put our own little, it's Sean did the graphic for the yeah, logo I mean, we, we had like these initial conversations and we essentially had like a logo and a website before we had a yeah. product we were, just, <laughs> we were just like let's like make this into into something yeah. and it's kind of like when people are in high school and they get their band and they do the band name first and yeah <laughs> forget about the music <laughs> you got right. stickers and everything yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and then now i'm looking at actually the brooklyn built too uh your design your idea behind these things because Andy, like I said, is a woodworker and deals mainly in furniture and housewares and, you know, uh, bookcases and that sort. And why the transition into? Well, in a way, it's uh, <clears throat> kind of the green thing, too, or recycling in that originally the first cutting boards I made, if you make a if you're doing a kitchen for somebody, you have to cut out the opening for the sink. So I had all these pieces of rich light that were sink shaped. Yeah. Left over. <laughs> and. I didn't want to throw them out. I have tons of scraps of wood. And I was like, what can I make out of this? And woodworkers always make cutting boards. I mean, if you look on a woodworking forum, it's like half of it's like... How many woodworking forums are there? A lot. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, all my friends who are in the business are, you know, oh, November, I've got to be making cutting boards for Christmas kind of thing. So (laughs) it was natural to make a cutting board, but I didn't want to make another normal, you know wood cutting board and i was like oh the rich light's great and uh i made a couple that were just rich light and they were nice but i kind of like having the wood involved in it too and uh you know just kind of through trial and error ended up with the design that you're that you see in front of you so yeah and i'm saying if you do see this uh initially a lot of the times I, I, I'd assume people mistake it for like chalkboard or, you know. Yeah, that, a lot of people kind. think it's um, soapstone. Yeah. Because it has a heavy. The funny thing um, being here with these guys is <clears throat> when I first started working with Richlight, I went to a uh, certification course, and half the people at the course were stone uh, fabricators for stone countertops, and the other half were woodworkers, and their approach to it was completely different. The stone guys were like, wow, this material is so light. 
Yeah. And all the woodworkers were like, this stuff weighs a ton. You know? <laughs> yeah. But it, 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 it's somewhere in between wood and stone uh, yeah. in terms of its feel and its, and its weight. I mean, these guys would probably not think it feels like stone, whereas I pick it up and I think it does because I'm used to wood. But. Yeah. Yeah. But it's possibly just a great amalgam of the two. Yeah. Um, and then going a little into the process, because when we had discussed what you do with this wood and how you make these boards, um, it was lost on me. Like uh, terms like, what were they? Laid up, pegged, doweled, uh-huh. sanded, coated. Can, can you kind of like take us through those steps? Uh, sure. Well, the board is, uh, <clears throat> the cutting part of the board is made out of rich light. And then there's a handle that comes off of that that's it's wood. And the wood piece and the rich light piece are connected, if you look at the board, with a uh, a spline, which is a third piece, is a third piece which is made out of wood that um, is kind of notched into both of both the rich light and uh, the wooden handle, and then as extra insurance and kind of for aesthetic purposes, there's a little peg that goes through and holds that holds the rich light and the uh, and the handle, the spline together, and gluing that all up is called laying it up, and then uh, so. <clears throat> that's the the initial assembly and then the whole thing's sanded and it's you know i've got a machine that routes the edges and puts that kind of curve on it and and then the final step is applying a uh a finish to it which is a uh, uh i've experimented with different things the rich light has a non-toxic finish that they uh suggest people put on their countertops sometimes they use that and sometimes i just put mineral oil mineral oil on it um Lots of sanding and uh, yeah, so it's not just picking up a piece of wood and eating some cheese off of it. No, no. <laughs> and um, actually, speaking of mineral oil, because both Brooklyn Slate and Brooklyn Built use that application to make it food safe. Um, and Andy, you had mentioned that you use beeswax sometime. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you go through a long process at Brooklyn Slate as well, uh, trying to figure out what to use? Uh, we did, and actually, we were sort of lucky. There's. Um a company in the town where one of the quarries is that does soapstone and they do a lot of countertops and he had suggested that we use this food safe mineral oil then he suggested um we use this sort of wax too and it just didn't the slate it's just sort of hard to apply it um the issue we run into is that after we initially wash the slate and then we apply the oil and then we actually have to wash it again to get any sort of residue off of it because it We'll absorb only so much, and then it'll, it stains our hang tags, actually, is what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. <laughs> Excellent. Um, you know, aside from these just being uh, um, situational pieces, you know, put some cheese, put some meat, serve it to a table, there's also a deeper connection with both companies to food. Uh, Brooklyn Slate is coming out with kind of like a gift pack for the holidays uh, that Christy and Sean were explaining to me. And who's inclusive of that? We have, uh, we have Ted and Honey, who's over in, in Cobble Hill. Uh, Shelburne Farms up in Burlington produces cheddar. Uh, Castleton Crackers um, and Brooklyn Slate. <laughs> yeah. And it, it wasn't just you plucking these things out of thin air. You, you inherently knew or met some of these producers before. Definitely, yeah. I think the conversation sort of started when we met Whitney from Castleton Crackers, and she produces several different flavors of cracker, which are all very delicious. And we thought, why don't we try and pair this with other things? And you pair all that on a piece of slate. 
Um, it just seemed sort of logical. So the next step was to find someone that could maybe produce jams or chutneys that would complement the crackers really well. And uh, we met Ted actually at a market here in Brooklyn, and, and he was very excited by the idea. So it sort of just came together pretty much in the way that we wanted it to come together in terms of like working with other producers and making something that is a complement to, to each thing in it. Yeah. I see. Um, and have you had a lot of other companies, businesses approach you to maybe uh, be part of that larger package? Um, no, we did try and reach out to some people at first and didn't actually hear back. I think that it was just sort of, um, we, it was more trial and error. And when we found someone who was interested and it sort of, it felt right, we went with that. So we ended up actually going with, we, I think we were going to bring in different people to make the jams and chutneys and try a different, like a variety. And then Ted actually, when we came went to him with the offer he <laughs> wrote us this email back with these amazing like an amazing list of chutneys and had completely gone overboard and it was great and so we decided just to go with him because he was very into the idea of and he tasted all the crackers um and we had told him that we wanted to use a cheddar and he came up with all the combinations for us so we just sort of went from there yeah i mean talk about slate being a vehicle for food i mean <laughs> you know got passengers too that uh, you bring new products to the table that wouldn't otherwise necessarily have been in brooklyn by you know. exactly yeah and i think too part of the idea sort of came to from uh, seeing all these other producers here in brooklyn and it's like how can we sort of bring these people together that we meet at different events over time and and of course we've worked with some people that are not in brooklyn but we'd like to see more of that all put on a piece of slate together you know we're gonna take a quick break and talk about the larger community uh andy's recent travels to paris and normandy Uh maybe if they were inspiration for the foods then put on his brooklyn built uh, plates and yeah we'll be right back you've been listening to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.com The New England and New York farm families who own Cabot Cooperative are offering listeners a chance to win some of the world's best cheddar simply by calling into our show at 718-497-2128 or emailing us at info at heritageradionetwork.com. What a great way to start the holidays. I'll be picking a winner for the program two weeks from today. Cabot Creamery is a proud supporter of what Heritage Radio is all about.
and we're back. You're listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Brooklyn Built. That's B I L T, and Brooklyn Slate. I'm going to spell that out this time S L A T E. I just wanted to see if I can actually do that. I'm a terrible speller. Um, but we were just talking about community, and I actually wanted to touch on Andy's recent travels to Paris and Normandy. Um, I'm, I'm just started reading this book, uh, or, or raw, uh, to all that. It's a Michael, I think Steinberger book about the change in France from like 2002 to now and cuisine and how family meals have devolved from like 88 minutes to 38 minutes, but there's still that central part of maybe like the cheese board charcuterie. When you were over in Paris, and what were you there for specifically? I was just there for pleasure with my girlfriend, who's half French, half American. Yeah, and you guys went to Paris and traveled to Normandy. How much cheese and charcuterie did you eat? Because I'm trying to well, love first vicariously. Of all, uh, I'm here to say that the family meal is still well and uh, vibrant. Yeah, and, and at least 55 minutes or yeah, whatever the number was. Yeah, um, and that's lunch and dinner. Excellent. <laughs> I mean, it's so it's so sad to kind of see. Well, even Brooklyn built stuff and Brooklyn Slate stuff be thought of as like special occasion. I mean, I would use this at every freaking meal, like breakfast, lunch, dinner, and be completely fine with it. And it's not me just blowing smoke up everybody's ass, but the idea of bringing things out for special occasions mm-hmm. and not making every occasion, you know, extraordinary, I think should be, uh, you know. Well, that's another interesting Shifting. thing about uh, France that struck me is that they their use of um, kitchen ware, I guess, or you know, um, plates and and special glasses and not special, fancy. I mean, they were. It's it, there's much more emphasis on the table. Not not IKEA. Like, yeah, and and yeah. and pairing. You don't just use the same plates every day. There's yeah, a, you know, and that struck me uh, when I was there, definitely. Excellent. So, I mean, trying to push these into the light of not just being a one-off, you know, a holiday, a Thanksgiving, a Christmas. Is that something that both of you are trying to push forward, so that these are actually utilitarian? Yeah, definitely. I just have to say from, from our experience, um, making the slate cheese board is, is a really good excuse to buy cheese pretty much more <laughs> than you should. So yeah. it's really become sort of a normal thing to, like, plate it. And, and I enjoy that sort of transition. Excellent. I mean, not to step on Ann Saxelby's uh, Cutting the Curd show, who has uh, airs on Sundays, but let's talk about cheese. I mean, what are your favorite things to put on these boards? Uh, be it cheese, be it meat, be it condiments, be it anything outside of the box. Uh, you know, we, we, uh, there, was a, there used to be a restaurant in Greenpoint um, that used our slate cheese boards, and, and they did some really amazing stuff, like put... Uh, I can't remember what it was. The hummus. It was a chickpea crusted calamari, and he was serving mm. all types of different things on the yeah. plate. And we're like, "This is it! Like, it doesn't just have to be cheese. Like, you can." And it, it really looks great on a piece of black slate as opposed to a plate. You know? yeah. yeah, I think for Christmas, uh, my girlfriend and I do a dessert party, um, and I think we used the. <laughs> we gave her mother the gift of, or her parents the gift of Brooklyn slate, and it was one of those like, why didn't we give that? to ourselves but we used it when we were there i think we put like little tartlets or some kind of desserts all over and it's just it's a fantastic uh you know not just vehicle but display i mean it it's brings up the prominence of you know certain foods Mm -hmm. well and it's also it's been really great 
for us because in addition to that restaurant, we've been working with more restaurants and we do like restaurants to plate different foods on the slate, but it's also great to go and meet with the farms. Like we went to consider Bardwell in Paulette, Vermont, and we had we've met with Mateo from Jasper Hill and just going and seeing these cheesemakers is also really inspirational to us as far as doing something creative that I, I, I don't know. I mean, you can also eat or eat off of. Yeah, yeah. Know, it sort of all comes full circle. But, but yeah, that's a nice thing about it. Yeah, but I mean, has it changed the way you approach your product too? I mean, uh, the majority of slate have ninety degree angles, be it square, rectangle. Are there ever evolutions to, you know, circles, ovals, different shapes? I mean, well, we're definitely always improving the product, as I'm sure Andy is as well. I mean, one of the big sort of like changes that we made, if you can call it a change, is we started to round the edges. Uh, we think but both is like sort of a safety yeah. precaution, but also like it, it feels good, like it looks good. And, and, and um, you know, there's little, little tweaks that we'll make over time. But, yeah. but in terms of producing different different cuts, like we feel pretty good about the squares and rectangles right now. Yeah, yeah. And Andy, I mean, with your cheese boards, too. Well, I was going to jump in and say that actually um, the, the reason mine has a handle on it, or one of the reasons, is that um, you can use rich light to actually cut on. So I use the board a lot. Um, for presentation, but also for cooking. And the handle, you cut and you have, you know, whatever on it, you can just walk it over to the garbage can and and sweep everything off. Whereas with the big rectangular cutting board, it's yeah. much, you know, it's not as easy. So it's actually a very good um, for the utility of actually cooking with. Yeah. But what about maybe counterweighting and having two handles so you can bring it out? You know, like, ah, well, I, yeah, I'm thinking Thanksgiving, big turkey. <laughs> try, try, you know, counterbalancing an 8, 10, you know, 20 pounder on those things. Nice. And, yeah. Or pizza. I mean, we're, you know, having Roberta's right now. These are great. Uh, I was thinking of making a pizza with appeal. Oh, excellent. Out of uh, Rich Light, actually. Cool. No, that's awesome. And, I mean, what is the heat transference of Rich Light? Uh,. It it's uh, would it? I mean, it transference in the sense of it keeping stuff warm, or whether it's going kind to of, uh, flammability. <laughs> well, now I'd like to know both. <laughs> um, I don't really know per se. Yeah. I mean, it's it's basically the equivalent of a wood, so of a really really dense wood. So um, it doesn't. I've put uh, really hot stuff down on it, and um, rich light in its countertop. Um, you know, guys or whatever says that it it you know is is basically impervious to uh, putting a hot uh, yeah. pan or whatever down on it. Um, and I've made I did make a um, a p- pizza peel for myself and have used it to pull pizzas out of um, you know a, a not a not a wood burning pizza oven, yeah. but a a just um, a conventional well a a, a tweaked um, where you screw with the auto with the um, self-cleaning function oh, on a regular oven oh yeah because a regular oven i <laughs> yeah. guess for fcc i mean not if uh whatever you you can only bring up to 500 degrees yeah but the oven's capable of going much hotter oh and so it's like taking a car drilling a hole to let more you know well you do something that that, that <laughs> allows you to open uh, yeah. the oven when it's doing its self-cleaning thing which allows you to cook pizza <laughs> at a higher temperature, which is what pizza yeah. uh, needs. Um, I, I'd like to note that you added on that secondary question of flammability, and now I know why, <laughs> because uh, I'd like to come to your house and see all the kind of uh, add-ons that you have uh, to most of your wares. Um, huh, I, I may try that, because uh, 
I was just talking about pizza with somebody and that you can only get to 500, right. maybe 550 in a degree. And it's not a consistent you know, temperature. And the whole zero. trick is to get to 800 or 900. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for quick New York-style mm-hmm. pizzas. Huh, interesting. Well, I might Don't do try that. try this at home. No, well, I am going to, <laughs> but I'm going to wait till after Thanksgiving is done and over yes. with. So um, I will be eating out most of December after I ruin my stove. <laughs> um, outside of... Your boards, too. Did you guys look at any other housewares or, you know, ways of cooking in the kitchen as influence onto your product design? I mean, for us, I think most of it just we find like visual signifiers and other I think more just like an abstract things like textures and yeah. uh, especially like ideas of like old industry, I guess. Yeah. You know, like thinking about maybe like a really old stove and like how that was designed in the 20s. Like that's the sort of thing that we try to incorporate, I think. Yeah. What kind of research have you been doing lately? Uh, fonts. Yeah. Enjoy looking at old fonts and, and trying to uh, integrate those or, or use those as a jumping off point for producing different, you know, like marketing materials or, or yeah. postcards, that kind of thing. I mean, just even letter presses seem very culinary sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Just uh, with the materials that they use and the way that they operate. So uh, it, when I was in school in Boston, there were a whole bunch of type foundries and I used to go there and it, at first you walk in, you don't know whether or not it's like a, cotton mill like weaving blankets tight foundry or some kind of like cooking element thing but uh yeah i can see that playing in so you're looking at fonts to further your logo further your design or yeah well i think it's half and half part is like i mean how do we want to present the slate and how do we want it to feel and we try to we think about that a lot when we do like our own our own photography for for the website yeah we like to make postcards and that kind of thing so when we think about the setting and the backdrop and what we want to plate on it, part of it is like what kind of food do we think would be appealing, but also what type of setting feels really comfortable. And yeah. for some reason, type foundries and <laughs> really rusty old things yeah. come into play. I was know? about to say, you drive out to Pennsylvania, hit up some Mennonites. and. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were also speaking of this absurd barn. Uh, in Is it upstate New York or Yeah, Shelburne Farms, yeah. The, uh, who we're getting cheddar from. This barn is just, I mean, it's hard to conceive or describe how large it is. It's pretty much like a semi-skyscraper turned sideways. Wow. And made I was just gonna, entirely of wood. Yeah, I was just going to no, quantify it, bigger than bread. Well. There, was, there was some stone. That's yeah. right, yeah. And what, what was it used for? I mean, is it functionally used as a cheese-making facility now? It is, and there, there are classrooms as well in it. And I'm not really sure what the other, the other spaces are. The but... other 85% of the building. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> and you guys are at capacity, both Brooklyn Built and Brooklyn Slate, as far as materials held, right? Like, you don't have any space for anything. And they have 85% of their... We should be talking yeah. about them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everyone check out Shelburne Farms for uh, some rentals. Uh, <laughs> um, I was going to say any parting words, but that's not what this is. A- any last words about your products, about um, what you hope, you know, new connections to make or what you hope to get out of maybe even critical commentary or criticism to help improve what you're doing? Um, well, for me... This really was kind of a, it's interesting, I was watching a um, a documentary the other day, um, a PBS documentary called Crafts in America, and all, and it had all these amazingly successful like basket makers, and uh, Sam Maloof, who's a great furniture maker, and it was kind of interesting how many of them had started just by doing, being at the stage that I am now, of kind of having made something that they liked themselves, and their friends found out about it, and then they ended up 
creating a business and then it ended up being a relatively large business. And um, for me, the cutting boards, I am very interested in food and, and that's why I made the cutting board. But the cutting boards are the first uh, kind of experiment into doing other products, which, um, you know, I'm kind of ramping up the cutting board thing as a experience and, and, uh, but hopefully we'll be coming out with some other, uh, products. Yeah. You think you could drop one of those, a little preview here for us? Uh, there's too many different things kind of floating or none of them are past the, uh, kind of prototype stage. Yeah. But, um, if, if you have any ideas for Andy as well, I'm sure he'd appreciate an email or a call. Um, uh-huh. as, yes. Yeah. So check out brooklynbuilt.com, and that's B-I-L-T.com, Andy Ring, and then brooklynslate.com with uh, Christy Heidecker. Haddocka. Haddocka. I was so close. <laughs> See, I, I do this to try to get over the fear of speaking. Then names <laughs> like yours come in here. And then Sean Tice, thank you both for bringing your excellent wares, um, your stories behind it, and... Uh, you know, the food to the table. You never know what's going to be your stepping stone, soapstone, slate, rich light. <laughs> Start a project now and uh, yeah, contact these two for excellent products of their own. You've been listening to the food scene on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Thanks again to Cabot Cheese for sponsoring, Jack Inslee for producing, Nate Wiener for engineering and hope to have you here Tuesday 3 p.m. next week. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to the food scene on Heritage Radio Network today, guys. Later today, 5 p.m., tune in to Beer Sessions Radio. Got a really good one planned. Followed by that, Why We Cook at 6.30. And uh, then we'll see you again on Thursday. Again, you've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Network.com.